Good evening. Yes, I'm, I am live. Perhaps. Hope that you are joining us tonight for installment number 364 of the um, online Wednesday night class. Probably not quite that high. It just seems that high, right? Yeah. Come sign in. Let us know you're there. I, uh, I want to give you early birds, too, a heads up of a icebreaker for tonight. I want you to think about things that you have done that most people haven't. You know the old game, Never Have I Ever? Be thinking about things that you have done in your life that, that a lot of people haven't. That's kind of what we're going to start with tonight in a couple of minutes. I also feel like I probably should address a few things here some Wednesday night, and tonight's as good as any, because um, a lot of people keep asking. One, the clock does work. I started stopping it several weeks ago because a couple of people said, the pendulum drives me crazy. I, all I focus on is the pendulum. So I, I stopped the clock, um, but it does work. I've moved around my house a few times, and a couple people have said, how come there's a clock on every wall? And the truth is, if you've ever been in my house, you know there is a clock on every wall. Uh, most of them don't work, but um, so yeah, there's always a clock. Um, my dog is here. Um, she's always here. I got my wife here tonight. Martha is always here. Actually, tonight, Will is back down from Tallahassee. He was up uh, in his apartment for a little while, but he's back home, back at my home, working. So he's here. Um, so, yeah, I also have been asked to give a shout out to Aloha's friend Donna in Colorado. So thanks for tuning in. Donna, uh, Aloha speaks very highly of you. And this is just filed under the isn't that strange category. I got a message last week from someone who noticed the uh, little tractor behind me. It wasn't, uh, and it wasn't Pat Unger. It was a brother in Iowa who recognized it as an Oliver tractor. Everybody thinks it's a John Deere but it's actually an Oliver tractor that I had when I was six years old. I had three of them that uh, on the farm, we used a lot of Oliver tractors. And I got this message saying, what's the story with the little Oliver tractor? Uh, so first, it's amazing that someone knows it's an Oliver tractor and even more amazing that, maybe not, not more amazing that the person who knows it's in Iowa where they actually do farming, but uh, yeah. Okay, hey, it's, uh, yeah, seven o'clock, 7.02. Um, Here's the icebreaker for tonight. I mentioned it to the people who were here a little bit earlier, but I want you to think about things that you have done in your life that most people have not. We all have all these life experiences. What are some things that you have done, experience that you've had that probably most people haven't? And I would like to see you post them in the comments. Um, it doesn't have to be anything spectacular, but and I got thinking about this in my life. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of time to uh, respond. And, and first, 
I started off by thinking, what are some things that I haven't done that almost everybody else in the world has, or at least everybody else in America? And I actually came up with a very long, that was the easy one. What have I never done that everyone else has? Things like, I've never had a tattoo, never had a piercing. And I got nothing against tattoos or piercings. It's just, I'm too big of a chicken. Now, maybe I'll get one one day, but I seriously doubt it because I can't imagine anything that I'd want on my body forever. Um, I've never broken a bone. Never in my life have I broken a bone yet. I have never fainted. Most people at some point in their life faint. I've never thrown up in an amusement park. In fact, Martha can vouch for me here, I can probably count on one hand the number of times I've thrown up in my life. Um, I have never worked at a fast food restaurant. I've never been to a chiropractor. I've never worn braces. I've never in my life had a massage. I've never in my life had a manicure. I've never in my life, hey, this will shock you, never had any plastic surgery. Never had any work done. This is all, this is all natural, man. Yeah. So those are some things that I've never done. Now, let me share a couple of the things that I have done that I'm going to guess maybe most people haven't. Uh, and some of these you'll probably know. Um, I've, I've mentioned before, I've driven an 18-wheeler. I did that for several years. I drove a truck. Um, I've ridden a bull, sort of. Uh, never, you know, like a rodeo, just a bunch of idiots jumping on the back of bulls out in the field. But I'm not sure I ever made it eight seconds, but I've ridden a bull. I have hitchhiked, which probably most people my age have, but not so much anymore. Um, I have performed a pregnancy test on a cow. And I doubt too many of you have done that, unless maybe Andy's watching in Georgia. Uh, but it, it's, it's more involved than just taking a look. It, um, it involves a very long... Uh, rubber glove and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> uh, oh, here's the big one. Here's what I have done that you've never done. I have met Carol Baskin. Boom. I win. I've met Carol Baskin. And if you don't know who that is, good for you. But if you happen to be one of all the, the, the millions of people who watched for some reason the Tiger King Carol Baskin's the lady who lives in Tampa here that does the big cat rescue. Back when uh, at Harold's Farm Supply one Saturday, she brought out three of her big cats in these cages for a customer appreciation day. And uh, so I was there with Carol Baskin. Yeah. Um, so there's some things that I have done that maybe you haven't. Do we have anybody that's... Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Mr. Jimmy the Bows beat everybody. Played in the NFL. <laughs> uh, played in the NFL. Yeah, that's going to be a, that's in rarefied air there, Jimmy. I yeah, think we're pretty. Mark said he's shaking hands with three presidents. I can't find, shaking the hands of the last three presidents of the United States. That's Mark Stutzman has shaken the hands of the last three presidents. That is pretty impressive. Um, and Mike Manley yeah. got top speed at the Daytona 500 in a minivan. I'm going to need some verification on the, the minivan top speed, Mike. I don't even know what the deal is with that. Top speed is my he's done a lot of minivan. Oh, okay. Uh, Pam and Gamble taking flying lessons. Pam is taking flying lessons. BJ Lickman traveled to uh, India. Okay. 
uh, international travel. I've never done that either. Flo lost 123 pounds. Whoa. That's impressive. Yeah. Rebecca has lived in Japan three times. Rebecca right. Spitzman. Three different times. Three different times. Yeah, that's... Like it's a military family. A, yeah, I'm going to guess that's part of uh, the... Angela Manley has run a blueprint machine. I've done that too. A mimeograph thing with a... I've done that. Renee. Love the smell. The Bose attended law school at 45. Law school at 45. Yeah, we got a lot of people who've done some pretty cool things. Charlene Ingram was the uh, American student living in Germany and going to a British school where she took French. American student living in Germany taking French. Luana Sutherland built a robotic parking garage in Hoboken, New Jersey. Hoboken, oh, that New was Chris. Chris. Sorry. Chris Sutherland built a robotic parking garage. Okay, you got me there. I've never done that. <laughs> Never Travis, even been to Hoboken. Travis D made it an alternative as a singer at Dollywood. Travis was an alternate singer? Yes. An alternate singer at Dollywood. Does that mean like if the people that were good didn't show up, they asked Travis to sing? I don't know what that means exactly. Angela made a video with both Smokey the Bear and Enos from Duke of Hazzard. I don't, know, I, don't know who, I don't know who Enos is, but I know Smokey the Bear. Um, and, is that available on YouTube somewhere, Angela? And Angela was the first to get bingo two weeks ago. And Luana, I think she cheated on bingo. Dissected a river otter. <laughs> on, <laughs> on purpose to <laughs> swallow something that you wanted. But a river otter. Okay. Surprisingly, Bert Thomas has done two laps at the end of the Take that, Mike Manley. Your nephew Samuel Stutzman mountain biked the real Thunder Mountain from Disneyland. Whoa. Cool. Yeah. My nephew is Samuel Stutzman in California, where it's just the middle of the afternoon. Rick Hatcher, your friend. Rick Hatcher, my friend from Tennessee. He saw you being Steve Martin. <laughs> Yeah. That's something that I did that I'm trying to forget, Rick. Uh, thankfully, that is not on YouTube anywhere. Tom Thurman. Okay, I can tell we're starting to digress here. Tom Thurman traveled to the Phil uh, Philippines. The Philippines, more international travel. Travis I got to get out more. If someone dies, Oh, Travis says if someone were to die, he might have been called to, to sing at Dollywood. George and Randy preached. One night at the church with no walls. Okay. George and Randy spent time in preaching in night, India. One that had no roof. <laughs> no walls and then no roof. Uh, David Vaughn, this is a good one, has never had pumpkin spice coffee. I never have either. Never had pumpkin spice coffee. But I should admit, I've never had coffee. I've never worn Crocs. <laughs> Will says he's never worn Crocs, nor Kathy have I. Met, uh, Charlton Heston. Oh, that's Kathy, pretty cool. Kathy McIntosh? No. Uh, LaFave? Kathy, what's your role? Kathy, Jerry's <laughs> wife. Uh, met Charlton Heston. Is he still alive? No. No. Hey. Why, how would I know that? Ooh, okay, we're, we're wasting no, time here. The best one. Wait, best one. Okay, one Jim more. saw Mike Tomlin. He was eight years old. That's right. I, I have heard that. Jim saw the best coach in the NFL, um, Mike Tomlin, 
when he was eight. So I had a connection there somehow, if I remember right. Jim had a uh, some a kind of connection with in all the states. Mike Tomlin. No. Yeah, that's what she said. No. That's what she says. That's you have been in all fifty, all fifty states, or all the lower forty-eight. I've been in all the states. That's what she put. Is that like the state of confusion? The state of. No, all fifty states. Marie saw Elvis Presley in concert. Marie Mann saw Elvis Presley. You know, I think I, Martha and I talked about this, and then I'm stopping right here. If I could go back and see one um, concert, I think be Elvis. Um, then Alyssa yeah. threw out that she saw Pat Boone. Pat Boone was in her house. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes, all fifty. Yeah, yeah. Elvis, Pat Boone. Oh. Who's still okay. alive? Who's this still alive? Yeah, doing commercials for something. Okay, okay, moving on. There's sorry, a reason. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry if we missed somebody. Well, that, took, that took way too long, but um, impressive. Man, we go to church with some impressive people, right? Again, Martha says she doesn't get everybody. Um, but I, I did that for kind of a reason. One, we have a lot of things in common, but then we have a lot of things that we don't have in common. You know, my list of things that I've never done that everybody's done, and most of us have, have done things that we've all done. Um, we all have our own stories, and we all have our own experiences. And yet, and this is where we're headed tonight, there's one thing that we all have in common. There's one thing that we all have a, uh, the same need of, and that is healing. If you took a look at my announcement tonight, you know we're going to be in Matthew 8 and 9. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some healing that Jesus does. Last week we talked about some healings too, if you remember. us in Mark chapter 5 last week, and we talked about Jesus healing a, a demon-possessed man, a diseased woman, and a dead girl. And uh, we talked about those miracles. Tonight we're going to look at... A healing that's a little bit different. Uh, Matthew's Matthew chapters eight and nine. This is kind of a odd. It's not odd, but it's an interesting two chapters because it is just Matthew listing healing after healing after healing after healing. I mean, it's just two chapters really of Jesus healing people. He heals lepers, paralytics, the demon possessed, blind, mute, sick, diseased, dead. Uh, some people he heals on the spot, some people he heals from a distance, but it's just a whole lot of instances and examples of Jesus healing people. Um, I'm not going to take the time to read those two chapters, you can go look at it, but in the middle, just kind of stuck in there, in the middle of all those examples of Jesus healing people, we read about Jesus calling Matthew as one of his disciples. The calling of Matthew. You know, when you think about it, it's kind of interesting how Jesus called his followers. He, he never asked for a resume. He never asked for a reference. He didn't use a headhunting agency. He didn't go to other rabbis or, you know, schools of religion and ask for their best and brightest. He just went to very ordinary people who had sometimes very ordinary jobs. I, in fact, I think to a person. They had very ordinary jobs, fishermen. And of course, we're going to see with Matthew, he's a, he's a tax collector. Um, he chose people that, that you wouldn't think would be the spiritual giants of his day. So take a look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. 
Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, there being a place where he just healed a paralytic. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Okay, what is the calling of Matthew doing stuck in the middle of all those healing stories? I mean, you're, you're reading through and it's miraculous healing, miraculous healing, miraculous healing. And there's a guy named Matthew. Follow me. I'll follow you. Miraculous healing, miraculous healing. Why is it stuck there? <coughs> okay, we're reading about this in the book of Matthew. Question, who wrote the book of Matthew? It is not a trick question. Kind of like who's in Grant's tomb. Who wrote the book of Matthew? That would be Matthew. Very good. Why would Matthew write about his calling right in the middle of all these healing stories? And I know the Holy Spirit's involved in it, and, and, and I know there's some, chron uh, some chronology involved, but maybe there's something else going on here. Maybe Matthew wants us to know, you know what? He healed me too. Not like he was healing everybody else. There's nothing wrong with me physically, but there was there were some heart problems that I had. You know, there were some things going on in my life that uh, I want you to know he healed me as well. So Jesus calls Matthew. And then right after that, we read about Jesus and Matthew having a meal together. And Matthew, this tax collector, uh, invites his friends to the meal. Now, we know you're the Wednesday night crowd. You know what the Jews thought about tax collectors. They hated them. So what friends is Matthew going to invite to his meal with, you know, Jesus? Well, it's other tax collectors. That's who shows up at the meal. And then look at verse 10 of Matthew 9. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, so Jesus is at Matthew's house, they're having dinner, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? The religious people are very upset that Jesus is eating with these tax collectors and sinners. Same thing to them. And of course, in that uh, culture, to eat with someone was more than just a meal. You were sort of uh, acknowledging them as having worth. So, the Pharisees asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with these sinners? And it's sort of interesting. They ask the disciples, but the disciples don't answer. Jesus answers. And I would love to kind of been there to know how that dynamic all worked out. You know, hey, what's the deal with your teacher here? What's it? And Jesus is like, hey, I'll, I'll take this one. You want to know why I'm eating with these people? Let me tell you. Um, verse 12. And by the way, this is really critical as we think about this idea of healing. And Jesus' answer is really critical as we think about being a, a, a place of healing. Because I think that's what we're called to be as the church. Uh, but look at verse 12. On hearing this, this being the question, what's the deal with your teacher eating with these sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's quoting Hosea 6, by the way. And then Jesus says, For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 
And it's almost as if Jesus is given like a one-sentence parable here. And I know it doesn't exactly fit the parameters of a parable, but he's given kind of a word picture here. And he does it really concisely. He's such a, such a phenomenal teacher. And in this word picture, in this parable, there's, there's really three players. There's the doctor, there is the group that is sick, and there is the group that is not sick. There's the group that's well. Question, who represents the doctor here? Again, not a trick question. This is an easy one. Give the, give the church answer. Jesus represents the doctor, obviously. You know, the great physician. Um, the great physician now is near. The sympathizing Jesus. We don't sing that song anymore either, do we? Do, do we sing that song anymore, Dave? Sweetest song. Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember exactly. Maybe that's going to be my new Wednesday night thing. Find an old song that we never sing that matches my lesson. So there you go. The great physician now is near. Jesus, blessed Jesus, I think is the name of it. I don't know. Um, anyway, I digress. Um, the doctor is Jesus. He comes for the sick. Who are the sick? Well, in this context, obviously the sick are the tax collectors and the sinners. The sick are the people that Jesus is eating with. The sick are the people who are used to being looked down on, kind of marginalized. The sick are the people who are kind of used to, uh, you know, I don't think Jesus is talking here about uh, physically sick, but these are the people who just, they're on the outside. And these are also the people who, who kind of know that they're on the outside. They're, they're very much in touch with their pain and, and they're very much in touch with their uh, with their hurt and then there's the healthy who are the healthy well in this context in this one sentence parable the healthy are the pharisees the teachers of the law and how should we think about the healthy well the healthy are the people who feel pretty good about themselves and their spirituality if feel pretty good about their relationship with God. They certainly don't feel like they are in need of a healing. Um, look again at, at Matthew 9. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. For I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Who did the doctor say he came for? He said he came for the sick. Who did the doctor say he did not come for? He did not come for those that, uh, that are healthy. He didn't come for those guys. So a question for you. This is a little bit harder question. What category are you in? Are you in the sick category or are you in the healthy category? Remember, Jesus says, I came for the sick. I did not come for the healthy. So what category are you in? Now, I think about that and I say, well, obviously I want to be in the category that Jesus came for. That's the group I want to be in. I want to be in those people, that group that Jesus said, I came for these people. I came for you. I didn't come for those people. So yeah, I want to be in the group that Jesus came for. I want to be in the group that I guess he's calling sick. And yet there's something in us. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, there's something in us that 
okay, I'll admit I, I'm broken. I, I, I'm in need. I, I'm, I'm hurting. You know, I've got all these issues. I've got all these problems. But after a while, don't you kind of want to be in the other group? After a while, and maybe it's just me, but after a while, don't you like, I would like to kind of feel like I'm getting it together a little bit. I would like people to think that I'm starting to figure it out a little bit. Now, I would like to, to be in a group that, okay, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm doing pretty good, really. And yet Jesus says, I didn't come for those people. Um, now, here's the question that we're really getting to. Um, and this is a pretty easy question, but the answer is easy. The application and the, the realization is a little bit tougher. What's the illness? What is the problem that the doctor came to address? And Jesus is really clear on this. There, there's no room for ambiguity. He says, I have come for sinners. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The disease that these people are suffering from, the disease that, that we are suffering from, the thing that we all have in common is that we all have sin in our lives. And we're all guilty of sin. You know, sometimes when we think of the word healing, we, we think physical. And, and that certainly shows up in scripture and it certainly still shows up today. And, and we need to talk about that and be aware of it. But at the core, at the core, the problem isn't our physical issues. The problem is sin. Remember the paralytic that Jesus heals? You know, your sins are forgiven. Hey, you can't forgive sin. That's his biggest issue. Okay, I'll go ahead and heal the other thing too, but it's not nearly as serious. Get up and walk. I mean, at the core, our problem, our issue, our, our, our reason for the need of healing is sin. Now, when we talk about sin in a class, when we talk about sin, when I talk about sin in a sermon, there's usually two reactions I get. One is, no, please don't talk about this. No, don't talk about sin. I don't want to hear about that. Let's talk about something else. The other is, Yes, finally, we are talking about sin. We need to talk more about sin. Lay it on them. Give it to them. Now, don't talk about my sin. I don't want you talking about me, but all those other people. They need to understand. But of course, the, tr the truth is, Jesus is really clear when he says, listen, I have come for sinners. And then, too, we, we sometimes think of sin in two different ways applications maybe you know there's the sinful acts um there's the things that that god tells us don't do this don't do this do this and to a certain extent we kind of like that we we kind of like to to know what the sinful acts are because we can quantify those just give me the list just tell me what to do tell me what not to do you know the ten commandments that's basically the list right or a list part of a list you know, don't lie, don't steal, certainly don't kill anyone. Yeah, just give me a list. So God does that to a certain extent, and we still can't get it right. But there's something that I think goes even deeper than the just sinful acts, the do's and the don'ts. And that's this idea of sinfulness. This, you know, call it a habit, call it a uh, predisposition, call it a, um, an attitude. It's just this that's in us. 
and I don't know how to turn it off. And I don't know how to shut it down. Now, I'm, I'm always finding myself being jealous of somebody that has something that I don't have. Or I always find myself uh, being combative with people that I, I should be showing great love to. And I, you know, I find myself never showing any kind of gratitude. Um, Paul says in, in Romans chapter 7, and you know this verse, but it is so good, um, especially since it's coming from Paul. You know, if Peter would have said this, I, it maybe would have made more sense. But, but Paul says, Romans 7, 15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I don't understand what I do. What I want to do, I don't do. But what I do, I hate. And then he says in verse 18, still in Romans 7, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. Paul's words sound so odd to us, but they are really important words. And they're really important, again, as we think about um, our spirituality and our nature and our habits that are just ingrained in us. And, and I say habits like it's a bad thing, but habits aren't a bad thing. Now, we, we couldn't live without habits. I don't have to learn how to tie my shoes every time I wake up. I don't want to have to learn how to type on a, a keyboard every time I, I go to the office. I don't want to learn how to drive a car every time I get in the, behind the wheel. Now, there was a time in my life I didn't know how to do any of those things, but I learned and I practiced, and now it's just muscle memory. I don't even really think about it anymore. I, I don't have to stand at the foot of my bed every night and decide, hmm, what side of the bed am I going to get in on tonight? I get in on the left side of the bed every night. You want to know why? I don't know why. Because apparently a long time ago, I got in on the left side and I've been doing it that way ever since. It's not better or worse. It's, right it's just a habit. Because the right side's taken. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the right side. And most of the middle is usually taken, actually. Um, but habits make life easier. It's just, it's just a pattern that gets ingrained in us. Uh, and, and there's a word for it. You know, it, it's second nature, right? Again, without habits, we couldn't get through the day. Uh, our life, to a certain extent, is sort of a collection of habits. And that's why people who really know you well can predict what you will do. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to do that. I knew you'd choose that. Why? Because you always do. Because it's a habit. But I'm going to tell you, if we don't pay really close attention to our spiritual habits, your Christian life is always going to be a source of frustration. We talk about uh, people talking about just being frustrated as a Christian. And I think a lot of times it's because you're not paying attention to the sinful nature uh, that you're warned against. You know, sin has a way just to getting down really deep in, in the way we think and want and desire and perceive and feel and act. Um, you know, Satan's just really good at what he does. And, and so many times sin just becomes part of our second nature. It's just kind of our habit, and we don't even see it. We don't even realize it. Now, you can override a habit by sheer willpower for a little bit, but not for long. You no, know, you can just say, okay, 
I'm going to will myself not to do that anymore. But it won't last long. You go to church, you know, you hear a sermon, you sit in the class, some brother or sister uh, shares something with you and it's convicting and you say, well, I'm going to change. I'm going to try really hard to, to be different. I'm going to now, I'm not going to speak that way to my wife anymore. And I'm not going to treat my kids that way anymore. And, and I'm going to be more grateful. And maybe you're able to do it for a day or a week or, or maybe a month. But over the long haul, your habits are always going to override your willpower. They just will. By ourselves. We can't will ourselves to, to not or to be able to deal with the sin that's the sinfulness that's in us. We don't need more willpower. What we need is a new set of habits. And what we need is a set of Jesus habits. And when you read through the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, that's what those early Christians did. They adopted a new set of habits. You know, they started reading scripture together. They started praying together. They started meeting together, not just worshiping. They were meeting in each other's homes. They were meeting each other's needs. They were so open and transparent with each other. They just knew when somebody had a need. They knew when somebody had a way to help each other out. They were just, you know, they were doing life together. And I know that's a buzzword, but I don't know how else to say it. They were just involved in each other's life. And I think that's exactly what Paul is talking about when he writes in Romans chapter 6. Verses 12 through 14. Listen to, listen to what Paul says, Romans 6, 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body to obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law, but under grace. You know, something we just always kind of keep coming back to grace, don't we? You know, in Romans 6 there, Paul is not saying, come on, you need more willpower. You're not trying hard enough. You can do it. No, that's not what he's saying. Nor is he saying, well, you don't have anything to do. You know, God's going to do it all. God will zap you. He'll take care of everything. No, we have a part to play. We have a role in this thing. And, and Paul, and, and certainly Jesus, is talking about entering, entering into a new way, into a kingdom kind of thinking, and a kingdom kind of focus, and a kingdom kind of life. You know, Jesus' teaching was so different. We don't, we don't appreciate that because, one, we don't know enough about the Old Testament and two, we're, we're too comfortable with the teachings of Jesus. But his teaching is so different than what people in that day were used to hearing. It's certainly different than what the world is saying now, but, but it was even more um, unique when, when Jesus was speaking it in the, in the culture that he was. It wasn't a, a list of, uh, of things to do and not. Um, it, it, was, it was a whole new movement that he's talking about. And of course, he's the perfect person to teach it. Because he, he perfectly modeled it. You know, Jesus never had to wonder, hmm, am I going to be obedient to the Father today? Am I going to be obedient to the will of God? He never had to process that question. It was just part of who he was. It just flowed out of him. He never had to wonder, 
uh, am I going to love this person? This, this person I'm meeting now, am, am I going to love him? Because I've already loved the last two, and you know, it's probably time to skip. No. It was just part of who he was. It, it was his identity to be obedient and to be loving. But of course, the problem is, I'm not Jesus. And, and the problem is, you're not Jesus either. And so we've got to recognize the fact that there is something in each of us. Here's what we all have in common. We all need healed. We all desperately need this healing. We need the doctor. You know, Romans tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. John tells us if we say we have not sinned, that we're liar and we make God a liar as well. By our own efforts, we can't address, let alone cure, the sin problem. We just can't. Only Jesus can do that. Only the cross can do that. Jesus came for the sick people. He came for people that, uh, that were aware that they needed healing. So, what would happen? What would happen if we just sort of all admitted we're not the healthy ones? What if we were just sort of honest with ourselves and honest with each other and honest with God and we just admitted, you know what? I do not have it all together. I am not in the group of the healthy ones. I am in the group of the broken. <laughs> I am in the group of, and again, we use all these kind of words like broken. and uh, I'm in the group of the sinners. Uh, that's who I am. Uh, and again, we, we carry around these secrets, and it just kills us. It just eats us alive, and it destroys your Christian joy. Then Jesus comes along and says, hey, you're exactly who I came for. I came to heal the sick. I'm the doctor that you need. So if I could leave you with a challenge tonight, I guess my challenge would be to try to very humbly and very honestly ask God, God, where do you, where do I need healed? I, I, I know, I know I need Jesus. I, I, I know I need healing. Where in my life do I really need the Holy Spirit working in my life? Where do I need you to intervene? Because I can't change it, and I can't stop it. Maybe I can push it, to, you know, push it away for a day or two. But where in my life? Because I'm one of the sick people. I'm one of the part of the group that Jesus came for. Where do I need healed tonight? Let me wrap up with Matthew chapter 13. Uh, Jesus is quoting Isaiah, Matthew chapter 13, verse 14. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For the people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Sound like anybody we know? Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn. And again, Daryl Barry, you know what he says next. I would heal them. 
And Jesus is saying, if you would just let me, if you would just be honest, if you would just be open, if you would just turn to me, I would heal you. It's a thing we all have in common. I've done things that some of you have never done. You've done things that I will never do. But here's what we all have in common. We are all desperately in need of the healing that Jesus provides because we're all in that group that the doctor came for. He came for all us sick people, came for all us sinners like you and me. So that's my thought for tonight. Thanks for sticking with me. Um, I want to end with a prayer to be sure. And um, and then I'm going to make a couple updates and uh, announcement or two. Um, so let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful that we serve uh, a God who loves us the way you do. A God who has refused to leave us in a, a sinful state. A God who gave the only gift, made the only sacrifice that, redeem us back to you. So we're thankful for Jesus and we're thankful for the cross. We're thankful for the forgiveness comes there. Fathers, a church family, uh, we're very prayerful for things that are going on in our world, in our country. We're mindful of the storm that's bearing down in the Gulf right now. And I pray that you would protect those people that are in its path, that you would lessen its uh, destruction, and that you would be involved. Father, we're mindful of just the, the social unrest that's going on in our world, in our country. And I pray that you would again um, just be involved in that and help us to show the love of Jesus. Several people in our church family that we're concerned about, uh, we're prayerful for Debbie Sharos, who uh, is still recovering from a, a very serious fall. And I pray that you'd bless her and her healing. We're prayerful for Sam Bush taken to the hospital uh, today with some possible kidney issues, and I pray that you would uh, grant your physical healing on him. We're prayerful for Rodland's parents, her mother and her father who are struggling with health, for Gloria Baker who continues to need healing and strengthening. Uh, Father, we're thankful for the ways you've answered prayers. Uh, and I'm also, of course, mindful of the, the virus that is just affecting the world. And now we've got our kids going back to school and our teachers going back to work and our families just one more level of stress. And I pray that you would protect those children and those teachers and, and that you would strengthen and encourage all the families of small children and uh, just bless us. Thank you for all the patience you show with us. And thank you again for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray, amen. <clears throat> Hey, a real quick announcement or two, um, and I think maybe the only one I have, unless Martha has some others. Yes, um, I have a request to see our dogs before it's over. A request? Who in the world wants to see our dogs? Melody Rivenborg. <laughs> Not Keith Stefanko. We've got a couple of labs running around. Um, uh, sign up sheet for baby pain. That's A-P-A-Y-N-E, not A-I-N, but... Uh, it's on BACC members, members page. And, a vital concern. and Joanne, there's a vital concern John as well. Joanne posted it in vital concern. Joanne posted it in vital so concern. She will let 
Okay, but there's a sign-up sheet for the pains who just, um, okay, here's, this is my dog. This is the good dog. That's the good dog. That's where she usually stays. Again, she listens to every class. She's a hearer and not a doer, though. So there is this that. This is the one covered in uh, this is, this is the problem dog. He has personality. Um, Sit. Come here, Riley. Sit. This is Nate's dog, a Sit. silver lab puppy. I'm a one-dog person in a two-dog house. So... Um, Can you see him? No, he's a. There he is. He has some problems. Um, <laughs> so, problems. Some, for he's some reason, puppy. he's living in my house, and I'm not even sure why. But. Uh, uh, Alila said Mount Dora online. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this Saturday is the Mount Dora dinner that we always attend, um, you know, physically. Uh, they're doing it online. I don't have to explain or, or tell you what a fantastic work they do. And I know Bay Area has always supported them in a big way. So um, take advantage and be a part of their viral, viral, uh, virtual uh, dinner coming up Saturday. And uh, I know that uh, that's a work that certainly does a lot of good uh, in the lives of a lot of people and worthy of our support. So, yeah. Anything else that I've missed? No. Okay. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for the comments that I'm sure you have made. Um, and look forward to seeing you on Sunday at 10 o'clock on, online. <laughs>